Blog Talk Radio. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim of Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Happy New Year's, everybody. Happy New Year's. Oh, man, my first show of the year. I really meant to do a show last week, but, you know, some things happened, and I was just too, too tired to um, get on here and talk. So, you know, I'm going to make up for it, some things that I'm doing in the background, you know, that will be dropping soon, but... This is going to be a phenomenal year, and I know some of you are looking at, you know, your computers or your phones, and you're like, well, what do you mean it's going to be a phenomenal year? Man, we're still alive. So my thing is is that I'm just considering what I've been through over the last several years and some of the things that I'm dealing with, the fact that I'm still alive insane, and still willing to open myself to love other people and to let them love me, that, you know, is definitely a testament to all of the love and compassion that others have invested in me over the years, you know, not only just with my family, but, you know, complete strangers, people who were just being themselves, just kind and giving and loving. And, you know, we try to give that back, at least I do, in my own way. And, you know, again, some things that are happening, you know, eventually I'll be able to get to the point where I can address it, but I can't right now. But, you know, you know, we're running. We hit the ground running 2017. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to bringing more shows to you guys I'm looking forward to more interaction and some other things, like I said, that are coming up, and I'm really excited about it. So happy New Year. I missed you. I'm back, ready to go. What they say, fired up, ready to go? Yes, yes, indeed. You know, and and we're going to do this. So today, the title of today's show is Dear White America. Why are the blacks the only group demanded to play fair? And you know what? I haven't even promoted the show. Let me go ahead and tweet this out while I'm thinking about it. But that's something that I you know, really think that you all should think about. You know, why is it that we are the only ones expected to play fair? Legitimate question. And it's something that, you know, we really need to talk about and think about because, you know, what's so interesting in America right now is with President-elect Trump, you know, black people are being told to stay in our lane and to shut up and do as we're told and to go along and get along with this administration. And, you know, what's so interesting, you're telling us not to question the legitimacy of Donald Trump's 
um, presidency, yet you had absolutely nothing to say when he was questioning the birthright of Barack Obama. The same people who said, we have a right to know, are some of the same ones putting their fingers to their lips, looking at the blacks and shushing us and and, and daring and, and, and threatening to take their quote-unquote support from us if we do not shut up. Now, I'm not sure about you, but if I have to be silent to be your friend or be silent to get your support, I don't need you, period. And the people who put you in that position, I mean, really, are they really benefiting you in any way whatsoever? I mean, seriously, the benefit of that particular friendship. You know? So, you know, maybe it's just me, but we need to start questioning a lot of things in this country. And that's why you hear me saying all the time, you know, question it. Question it all. Question everybody. You have that right. Go out. Do your research. Even if the source where you receive the information from, even though they're a trusted source, what they say, trust but verify, right? And so that's what I would suggest, you know, that you all do. And, you know, I have been saying this for years. You know, don't you know, don't just go by what I say. I want you to go out and I want you to research. I want you to challenge. And I've been wrong, you know, in some cases. And I've admitted that. You know, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you will see that even some of my opinions, some of my thoughts and perceptions have changed over the years. Why? because I'm reading a lot more, researching a lot more, and and sometimes we see something and we believe that that is the truth. And you'll have someone like me, and I've had others who came in and schooled me to explain to me that my perception was not necessarily reality. And I used to look at them like they had gone mad, but now I understand. And some of these same people were the ones who told me, live a little. You'll see. And you know what? They were right. They were right. And so, you know, there are people I hear, like I said, you may not like the way they present it. You may not like their tone. You may not like you know, certain words that come out of their mouth, especially if they cuss, and I do cuss, and I don't apologize for it. And it's not that I don't have a vast vocabulary. I really do, and sometimes I'm on that, you know, I'm on that little train there, and you get the 20 and 50 and $100 words, but for the most part, no. Why? Because what I do with this show is I try to take topics that are complex, and kind of whittle it down to a point that the average person can kind of understand it. It's some things that I'll never be able to explain because I can't figure it out either. 
<laughs> so, you know, that's like the U.S. tax code. You know, the people who wrote it don't even understand it. So, I mean, there are situations like that. But, you know, again, I want to encourage you guys to go out there and read and research. There was a young lady by the name of Delia, and she hasn't even gotten to kindergarten yet, right? And she's read over a 1,000 books. And so they took her to the Library of Congress, and she was an honorary librarian for the day. And just the cutest little girl. And so, I mean, if that baby can read a thousand books and she ain't even made it to kindergarten, what's our excuse? You know, yeah, books are expensive. I know that. I get that. Google Books. You may not be able to read the entire book, but you'll be able to read some excerpts. If you really want to read something, do a search for the PDF. And more than likely, it's out there somewhere. And, you know, in, in some cases, depending on what it is, you can find them on university websites for free. You know, so you have a lot of information that's out there that's ready and available to you. So this year, again, I want to challenge you guys to get out here and to read more and to research more, question, challenge, critique more. Do that because, you know, we are at a point in time whereas we do not have time to play. You know, we didn't have time to play in the past, but now that, you know, the tangerine tyrant will be sworn in in a few days, guys, we got to get on top of it. got to be on top of it, you know, um, just looking around and trying to get my bearings and figure out what's happening, it's just so much. So much going on. You know, I found a quote by Maya Angelou, and it goes as, it is impossible to struggle for civil rights, equal rights for blacks without including whites, because equal rights, fair play, justice are all like the air. We all have it or none of us has it. That is the truth of it. And so, you know, what I find interesting is in this environment, you know, political and cultural environment that we're living in, under President-elect Trump, there are people, <laughs> there are people all across the board that are going to suffer from this administration. And what's interesting that I'm seeing in the news and hearing some of these stories, like I said, some of these stories are visceral, other ones are abstract, but there are some people who voted for Donald Trump white people in particular, who are now quaking or shaking in their boots, right? Because for some odd reason, they didn't realize that the Affordable Care Act was the same as Obamacare in some cases. In other cases, they understood that it was the same thing, but they were so angry with the establishment that they voted for Trump because he said that he was different, that he was anti-establishment, that he was going to drain the swamp, that he was going to change things, and he was going to make America great again. Not quite sure when it was great, but I guess it was at some point, but it was great for who? And so it's interesting because I posted an article in which they talked about Donald Trump and his rhetoric about making America great again, and I've talked about this on this show. 
And I talked about how what he was saying was code words or trigger words to, to, to basically assuage the fears of white people, mainly middle class, working class, poor whites, and, and letting them know that we are going to get back to a time where they can enjoy all of the entitlements and privileges that they had been promised as being a white person. And, you know, again, even if that takes us back to the 1800s or the early 1900s. And so, you know, it was this, this woman, and it was on NPR, and she was saying that, you know, make America great again was code words for white prosperity. And that's, that is correct. That is true. That is what they're trying to take it back to. And in another article, you know, again, talking about Donald Trump and making America great again, and it talks about, you know, FDR and the New Deal, you know, the 30s and 40s, in which, you know, a benevolent president created a social safety net for working class and poor whites. And many of the whites, working class and poor whites in this country, want to return to that time period, right? However, you know, what a lot of people don't understand, and we've talked about the New Deal on this show, and I would advise you all to go pick up Ira Katz Nelson's books. The um, Fear Itself, that's one book, and the other one is When Affirmative Action Was White. And what was happening with the New Deal and the Affirmative Action, you know, they in order for it to be passed, the Republicans had to make a deal with the Democrats, known as the Dixocrats, who were, you know, the founders of the Klan and, you know, the most racist party out there, and that was the Bible Belt. And he basically, he had to promise them that he would work with them. They made some compromises to make a long story short. Those federal dollars were pushed down to the state, which is why when you hear people talking about states' rights, falls into um, the category of they'll be able to administer these funds however they see fit, which means they can, you know, systematically discriminate against people of color and give these opportunities and these funds to white people, white folks first. And so, yeah, go out there and do some reach, do some reach, do some research on the New Deal and social safety net for white America, right? And it will start to make more sense to you. But they want to return back to those days. And in those days, you know, and even so now, blacks were extremely disenfranchised. You know, you got to remember, Reconstruction, black codes, Jim Crow, institutional and systemic racism, you know, and it's a lot, it's a lot there. And, you know, I'm trying not to get caught up in it right now, but... We have many shows to go. You know, I'm lining up some interviews this year in a much, much better place this year. So, again, you know, make America great again. If you dare to ask some of us if America has ever been great, there are many of us who will tell you no. And for a number of reasons, but, again, uh, you know, President-elect Trump, you know, he, he, I mean, 
My Angelou also said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Oprah added the first time to it, right? And look at what's happening now. You got John Lewis and Donald Trump beefing, right? And Donald Trump, you know, kicked off this King weekend, right, by canceling. He was supposed to go over to the African-American Museum, you know, the Smithsonian Museum, and he canceled. So he's not showing up for that. And now, you know, him and John Lewis are, you know, going back and forth. And, again, I'm just sitting here and I'm looking at, Some of the people that voted for Trump, 13% of black men voted for Trump. And dare I say it, I believe that the majority of them voted for Trump because of their patriarchal mindset. You know, we live in a very paternalistic culture here. And that's starting to change, or at least we thought it was starting to change. You know, what really put Donald Trump over the finish line were white women, you know, and and quite a few of them are these white feminists. And so, again, you know, it makes me question, you know, myself and some some people, some, some friends of mine who considers themselves white feminists or womanists or what have you, you know, I'm sorry, black feminists and black womanists who align or attempt to align themselves with these white feminists, is it worth it? At this point, my answer is no. It's been no for a long damn time. So, you know, that that should not come as a surprise. If you've been listening to this show long enough, you know exactly how I feel. And, you know, what a lot of these white feminists showed us is, yet again, they want us to rally with them stand behind them, prop them up, encourage and motivate them, allow them to steal our words, allow them to co-opt our movements so that they can get ahead with the promise of turning back and giving us a hand because they're our allies. And yet again, we've been thrown under the bus. And so what's so interesting about it was the television show Blackish. They addressed Donald Trump, you know, Donald Trump's victory in the election. And so the dad figure, I forget his name on that show, so forgive me, but Anthony is his real name. So Anthony was at work. And they had a little meeting amongst the people that worked there. And the white boss manager guy, you know, he was trying to blame it on the blacks, right? And so there was a bunch of, you know, banter going back and forth, you know, and and finally, you know, the, the white woman who was the feminist admitted to voting for Donald Trump, which kind of caught them all by surprise because they were too busy blaming each other for who was the culprit that pushed Donald Trump over the finish line. And so then it finally got back to Anthony's character, and he gave a very poignant point of view, which resonated with me and a lot of other people. You know, I may not have agreed with all of it, but, you know, he talked about how 
black people in this country, you know, are some of the more, most patriotic people in this country. We're also some of the most conservative people in this country, you know, whether people realize that or not. But, you know, he was talking about the love that he and others have for America and how he was offended when people basically would imply or state that blacks were traitors, that blacks didn't care, and, you know, and especially, you know, blacks being apathetic in regards to the election and and, and certain other responsibilities that the white elite establishment, you know, as well as the black leadership class, you know, the things that they state are important and that should be important to us and why we should follow them and why we should do as they tell us to do. And so, you know, looking at all of that and listening to it and just kind of mulling it over and, you know, centering my thoughts and my feelings when, you know, kind of contemplating what he had stated on the show. And it brought up, you know, a, a, a lot of mixed feelings because I was talking to a friend a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about the election and, like I said, you know, totally, you know, just looking at this, it, it makes me wonder if voting is the answer. I think I'm at the point whereas I'm not going to say I'm not going to vote anymore because, again, your local politicians are the ones that make policies and laws that affect you most directly, right? So voting for mayor, the aldermen, the state senators, you know, all of that, that's extremely important, and I will continue to do that. But I'm starting to question whether or not voting for the president is even worth it, whether it's legitimate, you know, and for those you know that I'm a big proponent of going out there to vote, but right now I'm questioning that and I'm questioning a lot of other things, and so it just is very disheartening to see what's happening in this country and how it's being torn apart. And, again, I said, why are the blacks the only group demanded to play fair? Because you have a group of people out here that are now pointing at the blacks and saying that we are the ones dividing this country, right? And so, you know, what's so interesting is you have a lot of people using that type of rhetoric I've seen blacks use it on other black people. Well, she won't go along and get along. She won't do as we say. She won't shut up. She's dividing the community. And in some cases, it's utter bullshit. In some cases, it's correct. But in this case, this is bullshit because what they're saying to us is they want us to shut up, be quiet, go along with, you know, Donald Trump and his people, not to question anything, not to challenge it, not to critique it, not to protest, not to sign a petition, not to do any damn thing. You better not cry either. Just take it 
you know, and you're sitting there and you feel like you're being damn assaulted. You know, it's like trying to throw somebody a ball, but their hands are tied behind their backs. And the ball hits you straight in your nose and your nose is bleeding, but they're saying you better not cry and not a drop of blood better reach the ground. And so, you know, it's really interesting. And so before I go all the way off and into this, there's a few things that I definitely want to address. And, you know, we're still going to do the first show in February, you know, for the Good Negro Crew or the Good Negro Club. You know, we're going to do a Magical Negro review. And, of course, I'm going to be talking about Kanye West, Tyler Perry, Lee Daniels, Pharrell. Now we add Steve Harvey, Kim Burrell, Shirley Caesar, Jennifer Holliday. I just got so much material to choose from. And, I mean, it's even more than that. You know, but what I find interesting, and I have to bring it up, you know, in, in, I may, I'm not going to go in depth on this today because I got a whole show dedicated to this shit, right? But Jennifer Holliday was going to go and perform at the inaugural for Donald Trump until people basically started petitioning her and writing her saying their displeasure with her decision to play at Trump inauguration, right? And so finally she relented and she apologized and she stated that her LGBTQ fans were offended and hurt, you know, by her decision. And she, you know, basically tried to play it up. I don't know if it was her or her publicist, but trying to play it up, whereas she felt as though as being a citizen of America that she had the right to make, you know, decisions and that, you know, singing for the president was very American and patriotic. So, you know, they tried to put that spin on it. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking and I'm laughing, but on the other hand, it kind of, you know, it pissed me off. I mean, there's no other way for me to explain this shit other than it pissed me off. Why? Because she's apologizing to her LGBTQ community fans for offending them and hurting them. Well, what about your black fans, the ones who put you on the map? When you were singing, you know, when you were in the play Dreamgirls, the ones who supported you when you were singing with the New Jersey Mass Choir and still support you. You don't want to offend the LGBTQ community, but fuck the blacks, right, Jennifer? Because that's what I'm hearing. But not only from Jennifer Holliday, some of the other ones that are out there. And not just, you know, in regards to the Trump inauguration. You know, you got Tyler Perry, his ass, him and Lee Daniels made their money off of telling the stories of black women, just like a lot of these pastors. You know, you have um, T.D. Jakes and Eddie Long and Creflo Dollar, you know, and and I'm going to get back to Eddie Long in a minute. But, you know, you have them out here, and, you know, they, they, they made their fortune, their fame, their celebrity off of the pain and the stories and the hard work of black women, and then you turn around and give us your ass to kiss. 
And what's so interesting is that, you know, when some of these men, they hate women, absolutely hate them. You know, and Lee Daniels talking about <laughs> he, he made, you know, a particular, you know, movie that centered a white person because he didn't want white people to feel bad. You got Tyler Perry calling black critics, you know, saying that they're exerting or they're, it's reverse racism when they criticize him. And Lee Daniels, you know, getting angry with black people who are protesting, you know, these award shows saying that it's reprehensible. Tyler, Lee, Kanye, Steve Harvey, Jennifer Kimberell, Shirley Caesar, and the rest of you, you made your money from black people, mainly black women. We don't have to support you. And that's what you need to understand. But, see, this is the thing. Let me tell you why they say these things and they don't think anything about it. Why? Because we have been trained to forgive, to forgive and forget, which is why history continues to repeat itself. And we feel like we're in a perpetual cycle of just confusion. You know, that's how I see it, because it's like, okay, that doesn't work, but we got to try it again and try it again and try it again, but hoping for a different fucking result. It's never going to be a different result, and we're always going to be at the lower rung of the ladder if we continue to do the same things over and over and expect a different result. And so, you know, I'm just looking at all of this. You know, you got Steve Harvey going to meet Trump, saying that, oh, things are not going to be that bad under Donald Trump. Oh, he's not that bad of a guy. You know, he he, he, he claims he spoke to President Obama because they're friends. And President Obama told him to go and meet with Trump. And I'm sitting there looking at Steve Harvey, and we already got issues with him. You know, I saw Kanye West went to go meet with Trump. You know, Kanye, baby. You know, you're going through something. But really, Kanye? You know, it's really just all about you, right? Fuck everybody else. Fuck your fans. Hell, even your kids. You got to remember, even though you may identify your children as biracial, most other folks are going to look at them as black. You know, and it went from... You talking about black issues and and making political commentary, whether it's with, whether it was with your lyrics or or statements you gave to the press. But now it's all about you and how you feel personally discriminated against because there are certain industries that are not accepting you. 
And so your focus has shifted. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. I did post an article in which, you know, they were talking about Kanye West and how he had a Franz Fanon complex. So go out and look for that. It was actually a very, very well-written article. And so I'm looking at all of this stuff that's happening. Kim Burrell with her anti-gay rhetoric, you know, being backed up by Shirley Caesar, right? And Shirley Caesar making comments about someone should have said something about this a long time ago before President Obama, you know, let this stuff become, you know, law or or acknowledging or, or, you know, giving any type of recognition or equal rights to the LGBTQ community. And there's so much, so much I can say about that. Kim Burrell and Shirley Caesar. I'm not going to talk about it right now. I'm not even sure how much I'm going to divulge, you know, on the Good Negro Review Show, right? But it's coming. It's coming. And so, um, yeah, I definitely wanted to mention Eddie Long today. For those of you who are not aware, um, Eddie Long lost his battle with cancer, and he passed away. And so, you know, I'm definitely sending out my condolences to his family, to his friends, to his his members. Because you got to remember, he not only had new birth in Lithonia, Georgia, but they had satellite churches throughout the country. And so I know some of you are looking at the phone and you're like, wait a minute. You're a free thinker. You're a humanist. You're, you know, you're a secularist, what have you. You know, how are you sending your condolences to this black preacher who was selling false hopes and false dreams to people? And something that I've stated on this show before, number one, I do not agree with what a lot of these preachers are saying and doing, especially these word of faith prosperity preachers. Got a big problem with them. You know, and I have a serious problem with what happened with Eddie Long and, and you know, those young men. And these are just the stories that you all know about. It's a whole bunch of shit y'all don't know about. A whole bunch you all don't know about what's been going down and around. <laughs> and some things I'll never be able to tell it, all right? And so, you know, Vanessa lost her husband. You know, those children lost their father. And so, you know, again, I just hope they find some peace and tranquility in their lives and they're able to move forward because the drama that surrounded Eddie Long, it not only affected Eddie Long, it affected his family. And so they had to heal from his bullshit. And and anyway, so he lost his battle with cancer. So, again, my condolences to his family. What's interesting is um, the son of Baldwin wrote an article, and I read it earlier today, and Raina inboxed it to me. 
And I was like, yeah, I read that. And so the son of Baldwin, what is the name of this article? Bishop Long is not the only one who's dead. So, again, the title of the article is Bishop Eddie Long is not the only one who's dead. And it was written by Son of Baldwin. And, you know, I definitely want you guys to go out and read that. I'm actually going to post it on my wall a little bit later. You know, I wasn't sure if I was going to post it, but since I'm talking about it on the show, um, I guess I'd better go ahead. And for those that follow my Twitter and Tumblr and Google pages, I have not been posting on that lately. I've been putting it all on Facebook and, you know, people that follow me on Reddit as well. So be prepared for a post-avalanche, if you will. I'm going to go back for the past couple of months, and all the posts that I put on Facebook, I'm just going to start bumping them out to Twitter and other places so that, you know, that information is readily available to you. And again, hashtag Black Freethinkers with an S at the end. Again, hashtag Black Freethinkers, and our other hashtag is P-O-C-B-F. Again, P-O-C-B-F. And we're going to be doing a lot more with people of color beyond faith this year. So look out for that. But let me tell you about this article. And so it was talking about those in the community who turned their heads and averted their eyes from Eddie Long when all of the scandals and the controversies, you know, hit the the media, right? And you even had some people out here that, you know, were saying, no, don't look at him, the man, see the God inside of him. Ignore that. You had people out here attacking others, saying that this was vicious rumors. Hell, not your typical Negro. They threatened to hurt him. You know, he was out there and he was investigating it as well. And so, you know, with Son of Blackwin, Son of Baldwin, what he was stating in his article, he was talking about how our silence is tacit agreement and how we are complicit in what Eddie Long has done when we're quiet, when we don't You know, when we don't chastise what happened, while we, instead of blaming Eddie Long for, you know, his foibles, you know, instead they would rather blame the children. And and it's not just with Eddie Long, but with some other preachers. We've seen this. We've seen it. And it's not just with preachers. It's celebrities. You know, it's, it's family members. It's people that live on a block. As strangers, but, you know, you want to blame the child. You want to tell that little girl that she was being fast and that she brought it on herself or laugh at her and say, I bet you keep your legs closed the next time or punish that young girl by making her have a baby that she didn't want when she was raped or assaulted. And it's not just young girls that get raped and assaulted. It's young boys, too. And many of them are too fearful to come forward with their stories because then you get all of this homophobic rhetoric. And what I try to get people to understand is, you know, a lot of that homophobia is rooted in sexism. It's a weapon. It's a weapon of sexism. So we get this young boy or young man or old man that comes forward 
and say that they were sexually assaulted by another man, you know they're going to be called a bitch. They're going to be called a faggot. They're going to be called all kinds of damn names. And those names are basically telling them that they're acting like a woman. Again, denigrating women. And it's based in sexism. And, you know, we probably need to do a show on that. Probably we need to do a show on that and talk about these things. So I don't want to get too far off topic, but, you know, I'm trying to get you all to understand and to visualize why this is problematic, okay, and where it's coming from. And you got these adults that, you know, try to say that these young people, especially if it's a young girl or a young boy, how they were trying to act grown. And this is what being grown gets you. Like it was their fucking fault that some some adult came and, and, and violated them. We should be offended by that. We should be out here protesting against these churches that cover this type of shit up. We should be out here protesting and basically kicking some of these churches out of our neighborhoods because, again, they know that one of those deacons or one of those ushers or the pastor or the assistant pastor is hurting those children, not only the ones in the church but the ones in the neighborhood that they claim that they're mentoring or counseling or helping, besides them not paying any taxes and creating havoc and chaos in urban environments, but Again, let's get back to this article. You know, there. You know, he talks about how no balm is offered. Yeah, and that's right. You know, you know, you got a lot of these people that do not show any type of sympathy, empathy towards these people who have been harmed by others, whether it's a child, a young adult, you know, a middle-aged person, or a senior. And it's wrong. It's wrong. You know, but the people, you know, no one wants to admit that they help to cultivate and foster this type of environment and how we have false, you know, fostered and cultivated this, this, this climate of silence or turning our heads and ignoring what is going on in our communities and how we are at fault and how we need to start, you know, we need to start policing our own communities policing the people that are in the communities. And, again, you'll have some of these preachers that will come out and say, give you that old, dated, stale, you know, scripture, touch not my anointed and do my prophet no harm. That is their way of silencing you and shutting up and not being held accountable, accountable for the bullshit that they're perpetrating on their congregation and, and the people in the neighborhood. And we got to stop it. And, again, I know some of you are out there like, well, you were just saying that, you know, um, you, you were behind and, and you kind of acknowledged the black church and black Christians. Yeah, because they're people, you know, black people, black Christians, black Muslims, black whatever the hell you are, they're people, and they're part of the community. And because Christianity and Islam is so interwoven into the very fabric of the black community, that we cannot Christians or black Muslims or black religious people out of the conversation without pretty much throwing out the entire black community. 
We cannot do it. So we have to learn how to bridge that gap. We have to learn how to talk to one another. We have to learn how to work together so that we can move forward collectively for the betterment of all. And, again, after seeing what I've seen in the white secular community, in the white LGBTQ community, in the white feminist community, and a number of other communities, I will choose the black church over your asses any fucking day. In some cases, they may be as wrong as two fucking left feet, but if I went to any of these damn churches and told them that I was in need and that I needed help, I really truly believe that they would turn around and help me. They may talk about my ass and I may be the center of their damn sermons for the next month, but you know what? I ain't going to be hungry, right? Can't say that for a lot of these other communities. Can't say it. And see, you know, there is this black atheist community. It's very small. You know, it's very small, yet it's, it's very large. And so what's so interesting is I see a lot of these black atheists, as well as Latino and Muslim and other variety of atheists, jumping on the bandwagon of some of these white atheists, not realizing that they are perpetuating even more white supremacy. Some of these people would have us at war with the black community right now. And the same thing within the feminist community. You know, some of these damn white feminists would have had us, you know, going to conferences on goddamn plantations, probably would have had us dressed in black and white so that we can serve them some damn iced tea. But they're being inclusive. We're either entertainment or the help, but they're including us, right? Or should I not be seeing that that way? Same thing with the LGBTQ community. You know, you won't talk about the racism, the homophobia, the transphobia happening in those communities. But you want to point the finger at the blacks when you don't fucking get your way. You want to point the finger at the blacks and say that we are the culprit. We are, we're the reason why all of this other shit is happening. When our numbers collectively, you know, it does not make a dent in certain laws and ordinances being passed. But you got to pass the buck to somebody because you're too fucking afraid to go up against the Mormon church or the, you know, the Scientologists. So you go after the low-hanging fruit. And so that kind of takes me back to that blackish show when, you know, he has the blacks on the whiteboard and they were trying to blame the blacks. No, fuck that hell no. We are not responsible for Donald Trump being fucking elected. And what's so interesting is I've had people call this show, and they were talking about some of the blacks, especially down there in the South, Georgia, South Carolina, you know, that area, and the ones that were out here, you know, holding pep rallies and all this shit in the name of Donald Trump and and they feel as though they've arrived. No, you ain't arrived. You are a pawn. Just pay attention to what he's saying. And so, you know, again, going back to this article, you know, he talks about how, you know, some of the young people, the young children that were harmed 
by others. And he was using, you know, Eddie Long as an example. He also brought up Corey Feldman, for those of you who need a white example, and how Corey Feldman was raped and passed around by studio heads and just harmed by another, you know, number of people, you know, and, and you get these families. And I've talked about this on the show. You'll have them saying to the young, well, yeah, I know it's not right, but the pastor has favor on you. And, and look, you're part of the pastor's inner circle. Our family is being blessed, you know, or, or you're receiving millions of dollars from doing this movie or or an advance off of your album. What the fuck ever. It doesn't matter if you're rich, you're a celebrity, you're poor. It's just it's all bullshit, Right. And, and, you know, in this article, you know, he was talking about R. Kelly. Everybody in Chicago knows what the fuck R. Kelly is up to. And I didn't say past tense. I said is. Allegedly. And so, huh, you know, when, when R. Kelly was brought up on charges, you had a bunch of people out there saying, you know, they were there for R. Kelly and a couple of other celebrities saying that they didn't do it, but, you know, and, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, we talked about this for, before, it's frustrating as hell, you know, because you have these people saying you got to forgive, you got to forget, you know, throw it into the sea of forgetfulness, and a lot of Christians use that line. I've had to use on me. I'm like, oh, you want me to forgive and forget so you can do the same goddamn thing to me again? And then blame me and tell me it's my fault because you want to fuck me over? Really? And so, again, you know, and and I'm going to give you a quote from the article. He said, then, when we look into the eyes of those children and the shine is gone, we pretend it was never there to begin with, that they were born with that dullness. And the dullness is a good thing because now nothing they endure can tarnish them any further. You cannot debase the already debased, and this is our gift to them. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of that song by Earth, Wind, and Fire, right? You know, it says, a child is born with a heart of gold, but the ways of the world makes their heart so cold. And it's not just young people that endures that. Older people endure that as well. You know, and so, child, we got so, so much work that needs to be done in this community, in our communities, in America, and it's not just in America. It's happening all over the world. But, guys, go out and, like I said, read that article. It was a very good article from Son of Baldwin. Bishop Eddie Long is not the only one who's dead. And, unfortunately, you know, I feel as though a number of our communities, you know, we've been out here, we've been zombies for too fucking long. You know, just dead on the inside, allowing people to just say and do what the fuck ever and making excuses for it or ignoring it and telling others to ignore it. And here we are today with a tangerine tyrant about to put his hand on the Bible and be sworn in as the President of the United States. And he has made it clear, very clear, 
where he stands. And so have the people that support him. And so I would be remiss if I did not mention what happened in Chicago most recently. And I know some people are out there where it's about time she says something about it, you know, huh? And you got some white people out here saying, see, now it's crickets. You know, you know, you got these black people coming up for hate crime, and now the black people are, you know, not talking about it, and they don't want to say anything about it. No, it's a lot to be said about that situation. And I don't know anyone who condoned that type of behavior, and I sure as hell know no one who would have encouraged that shit. And so you want to talk about these one or two stories that you believe that blacks are ignoring or not addressing. Let's talk about the 50 million other stories whereas white people perpetuate violence on communities of color and you're silent. Not a damn word. And so, you know, really, really frustrated with what's been going on. So for those of you that have not been paying attention, that have been, you know, as I would like to say, living under a rock, you have people out here who will try to take any situation and magnify it in an effort to delegitimize, that's, you know, one of the buzzwords this week, but to undermine different grassroots social community movements, right? And so you have some people out here that are from the far right, you know, the white supremacists over there, also known as the alt-right, what they're doing is they're trying to magnify stories like that in an effort to undermine, you know, the different movements that are taking place in this country because what they need is the status quo and they need for the blacks to settle down and to know their place and not only know it but stay in it, right? And so, you know, what they're trying to do in the background, for those of you that are not paying attention, is they're trying to encourage lawmakers in many of those cities, trying to encourage them to start bringing civil as well as criminal charges against some of these movements in an effort to stifle these particular movements and to scare people into not protesting, scare people into not demanding their equal rights, scare people into not demanding that the playing field be fair and level. And we have to recognize it for what it is. They want total and complete control. And so all I have to say is for some of these different movements. I've been telling you this for a while. 
And, you know, I know it's a lot of efforts that are taking place and going on in the background. But they're controlling your fucking narrative. You need to take your narrative back. Do you understand? You've lost control of your narrative. And what they're doing is now they're defining you. And they're identifying, you know, identifying who you are, defining who you are, you know, trying to determine, you know, whether or not you're going to be bankrupt by the time they get done suing you, you know, or, or whether or not, you know, you're going to end up in a clink. And all I got to say, and I see you called it, give me a minute here, all I have to say is you saw what happened to the players and, and the activists and the leaders of the black power movement, of the civil rights movement. If they were not killed, they were put in jail as political prisoners. They were exiled out of this country. You know, Asada Shakur, Claudia Jones, there's a number of people, you know, and um, – you know, Kathleen Cleaver and all of them, they were talking about how at one point when they left the United States, you know, and they went to go and live in Europe, and, you know, they felt isolated. They felt, you know, kind of betrayed there. And I can only imagine, you know, I can't imagine. Let me, let me stop lying. I can't even begin to imagine how they felt. And it never should have happened. So, you know, they're going to do to you what they did to those people if you do not take control of the narrative. And, and you know, again, the only way that some people in this country will understand and know is to put their shit in their faces or rub their noses in their own shit. So anyway, we have a caller from area code 504. Hello, may we ask who's calling? Yes, I'm calling from New Orleans, and I'm, I'm listening to you. I haven't been able to get to your, your show in a while. Uh, the first thing I'd like to say, I'd like to recommend you and the listening audience to an article on blackagendareport.com. Uh, the article is called... Uh, Mocking, marching, stopping the hate, and dumping Trump are not enough by Bruce Dixon. So when you get a chance, they tell you just put these articles up today, I think, uh, blackagendareport.com. So Bruce Dixon's article, I think it's interesting. I, I, I want to say, I, you know, when I voted, I voted for Jill Stein and the Green Party is when I voted. But I also am concerned about the narrative that we as the underdogs or we as the victimized are also creating, and that is, it seems to me as if we're creating a picture that racist and hostile acts against blacks and Hispanics starts with Donald Trump. And that's what it seems like many people speak in that manner and forget about many of the things that had to be addressed over the last eight years in particular. 
Secondly, the, the, the mistreatment of people based on color in particular has never stopped. So there's really right. no ups and downs. It's a continuation. And I think that we have to get our, get our narrative accurate. And on that note, I want to say with regards to the comments that uh, Congressman John Lewis made. Now, people say what they want to say. Now, I don't, I don't appreciate the comment he made for this reason. It seems as though some of us in the political spectrum are trying to speak for the Democratic Party and the Hillary Clinton machine. End of the day, black people in particular still are going to what? Have to lobby the government to fund HBCUs. Black mm-hmm. farmers are still going to have to address the systemic racism in the United States Department of Agriculture. These are just two examples, not to mention some of the four. So what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, where is the common sense strategy on the part of Congressman mm-hmm. Lewis that, hey, I still got to go to this guy, Trump, to see if he's sincere about addressing the issues, using his uh, premier status as a person who has sacrificed his life and personal safety for the advancement of others, it seems as though he made his comments, and I'm not saying he don't feel this way, but for Hillary Clinton. Now, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton going to be at the inauguration dancing on the dance floor. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. And exactly. the Democratic Party... All these eight years, the Congressional Black Caucus has had eight years and have refused to exploit in an efficient way Barack Obama for the betterment of black people. Mm -hmm. So So why are you, and I'm saying you in general, not just Lewis, why you want to start out now? I don't understand the strategy in that. You understand what I'm saying? We, I understand perfectly feel, what you're saying. And, but no, no, let me address it. You know, over at Black okay, Agenda okay. Report, I love Bruce Dixon and Glenn Ford, all of those guys. So, yeah, you know, I recommend you guys go out there. They um, they upload podcasts and all of that. So, yeah, check out Black Agenda Report. So, you know, I'm I'm with you. We're on the same accord right there. And you're absolutely correct in your assessment of John Lewis because, you know, again, in regards to John Lewis and this, you know, recent outburst against Trump, you know, John Lewis is the one that had that sit-in about gun control, but he's not sitting in about systemic and institutionalized racism. And I have a lot of issues in many ways, but I'm not going to undermine his role in history. Even though I feel he's a part of the black leadership class, He's right, part of the black right. leadership class that has misled the black community, you know, but, right. you know, as far as recognizing him as a civil rights icon, that I will do, you know, but the thing is, is that, you know, he benefited from that far more than what most of the people that are out there doing the grunt work benefited. Many of them mm-hmm. died poor and destitute and broken. So let's just put it out there. It was a few of them that were opportunists and look at where they are now. But you're correct. We did not have an agenda for Barack Obama. We gave Barack Obama a pass. 
we let him sit there and chastise us and talk about us and our community. With other people, he he empathized, but with us, he chastised. Now and you know, I'm listen right there with you. Go ahead. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Now, <clears throat> when President Obama first ran for office, two things were done, and we, in general, as black people, we supported it. One was denouncing Louis Farrakhan, number one. The second one was distancing himself from Reverend Jeremiah Wright. Right. This is what was said. Exactly. This is what was said. This is what Black America said. Number one, that's what he got to do to get elected. And then we went further than that. We after Reverend Wright's press. What you call that? The when it, the press club when you have this yes breakfast. Yes. After Reverend Wright did his press conference at the press club or whatever, we begin to say, oh, he's trying to take Obama down. Now, isn't it interesting? We supported two of our community persons to be thrown under the bus to have a black president, and then we want to get mad because there's a Trump? Seems like the, seems like the two behaviors go together. You, you you say to the world, you say you say to each other, well, we he, he gotta denounce Farrakhan. He he gotta denounce Reverend Jeremiah Wright. Okay, now black people, black people are endorsing that their community leaders be thrown under the bus for this black president. All right, now you have Donald Trump. Okay, it's clear that there is no connection of Donald Trump with the black community in a positive way. Okay, so therefore Donald Trump, in one sense, well, now I haven't heard him distance himself from Farrakhan yet to get elected. You see what I'm saying? And I have, so right. my point is, my point is, in one sense, we as a body politic African Americans, we are hypocrites. We we don't want the black guy to be held accountable for addressing our issues, but now we want to go back to protesting and holding somebody accountable. And I, I just find it hilarious. I find it an example of how we really, in one sense, may not really know what we want or how we should go about advancing ourselves. Okay, so black college presidents still got to go to the government. Etc. So, John Lewis' statement, and then number two, but let's talk about Russia. How in the hell we know any of this stuff is true coming from the so-called intelligence community, the same community that's set to destroy the civil rights movement and John Lewis himself? And the same community that lied about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. You see what I'm saying? Well, okay, so, you know, me, as far as that Russian thing is concerned, you know, I will say that the Russian hacking is a factor, but it's not the biggest factor in which granted Donald Trump the victory. And, you know, I do believe he's doing himself a disservice by coming out against the intelligence community. And he's going to pay for that. Trust me, he's going to pay for that. But in regards to the black community, 
um, we don't have an agenda. We haven't had an agenda. We don't have anyone out there lobbying for us. We do not have any political action committees. There are just so many things that we need to get get in place. And the thing is, is that it's not necessarily that we're outnumbered. We're out-organized. That's the problem. And going back to what you said about Jeremiah Wright, um, I agree with you. You know, he should not have thrown Jeremiah Wright under the bus. You know, however, I believe he was taking his dictates from, you know, the white community and the white progressive liberals that claim to be his allies and his supporters. You know, but the black community allowed it to happen and, again, averted our eyes and put our fingers in our ears and acting as though we did not see and did not hear what happened in that particular situation. And so I agree with you. And the thing is, is that with um, Louis Farrakhan, interestingly enough, Louis Farrakhan supports Donald Trump. He likes Donald Trump and he likes what Donald Trump is doing, right? So, you know, I would tell people to keep an eye on that and to pay attention to that as well. But, no, you know, we don't have an agenda. Pardon? No, I want to say not to cut you off. If people understood Mr. Farrakhan very clearly, Mr. Farrakhan, as the Nation of Islam point is this, the Democrat-Republican game has produced nothing. It's no support for Trump in as much he understands that whatever actions Trump may bring about should teach black people more clearly the dead end of these things. So it's a it's a it's a sarcastic support. It's a it's a uh, it's not really a support of Trump. It's understanding because even the speech he gave re- uh, recently, he told he made the comment. You know, he said, "I believe." I'm, I'm paraphrasing Farrakhan. He said, "I believe that Donald Trump." will push black that they will separate. And then he goes on to say, push, baby, push. And so it's a sarcastic support, knowing that it's time that black people go beyond these, what you call, line of, blank, line of blankets from, from uh, what was the cartoon? Uh, uh, with the dog, what was that cartoon we used to watch coming up? Uh, Snoopy, and he had a character who had a comfort blanket, mm-hmm. you could never take that blanket away oh, from yeah. him. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, that, security that, blanket. Yeah, that, 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 so Farrakhan is being facetious about Trump. There's no love for Trump there. But I'm, I'm going to be quiet. I want to oh, ask you oh, this. Oh, yeah, but if, oh, okay, but I, I want to make a point. I want to make a point oh, okay. to what you just okay. said there. And, and I, okay. I understand the sarcasm of the situation and, and why he stated it that way. You know, that part I get, and, you know, I've been talking about it more so over the past year and asking blacks, you know, why are you running to the Democratic Party or the Republican Party when they've created the situations that we're living in? We're running to them, begging them to fix a situation they Mm -hmm. created, and nothing happens. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it benefits them. And so I'm mm-hmm. trying to find the logic in all of this, and it's like something has to get done. And, yes, I believe that Donald Trump and these Republicans and these white supremacists are getting ready to kick us off the ledge. Now, it's up to us if we, you know, if, if, if we pull the cord and, and parachute down or if we just go straight down and go splat. But, yeah, you know, we're being backed into a corner, period. And yeah. it's either you fight or you run. That is where we are. Yeah. And I want to ask a question, then you can put me on mute. 
outside okay. of the fact, outside of the fact that the United States has lost in Syria and that the Russians will be the contractors to rebuild Syria, extrapolate for me on the credibility of in the sources that are available to verify what is considered what is identified as Russian hacking because mm-hmm. I see that as fake news because the United States has lost in Syria to overthrow and topple Assad that the Israelis want, then the Russians are there, and the Russians will have the military base in that region and will have all of the business contracts to rebuild that country where American companies will be blocked out. So could you elaborate on keeping that in mind, what is Mm -hmm. the source of the hacking, and could that not be a diversion from the real issue with Russia winning the propaganda war and the United States mm-hmm. killing the top of side. Now, listen. Okay, very good. I'm going to put you on. Well, no, I'm going to answer you, okay. and then I'll put you on mute, okay? All right, okay. so in regards to what you're talking about with Russia and this propaganda game that's going on as far as the Russian hacking and all of that, the end game for Putin and Russia is to the delegitimize America's stance in the world. So what they're trying to do is create doubt in all of these other countries and leaders' minds in regard to America and where we stand and our legitimacy and, and, and us being a world power. So, you know, even though, um, again, the Russian hacking is – a small factor, I agree with you, and I've been saying this for a while. It's like you're focusing on this Russian hacking, but all this other stuff is going on in the background. You got the gerrymandering, you got the redistricting, you got the repeal of Obamacare, and a number of other things that are taking place. You know, they were trying to get rid of the office of you know, ethics, the government office of ethics. It's a number of things. But as far as this Russian hacking story is concerned, You know, again, history repeats itself. So if you go back to the 50s and 60s, you'll see the McCarthyism and the Red Scare. And a lot of that was done to basically overshadow a lot of the discontent that was in this country. So, you know, you had the Black Power Movement, the Civil Rights Movement. You had the Latinos with the Young Lords. You know, you had Black black Power, Yellow Peril with the H, and a number of even some of the white, you know, Confederates. You know, they were out here. You know, the Black Panthers worked with some of the white Confederates. And so you had all of these people out here expressing their discontent. So I guess that would be like the birthers. And the Tea Partiers that are out here, you got Black Lives Matter. You got, you know, you got the Huey Newton Club, and they're out here protesting, and they're speaking their truth. But, again, the powers that be who benefit from, from all of the misery and pain, they have to overshadow it, and they have to divert our attention to something else while the black misleadership class is instructed on on in trying to get us to focus on something other than what is the best interest for our communities. 
So, yeah, and I mean, what, what Putin is doing is he's the, the delegitimizing America's stature in the world. And he's trying to show the world that they should come to Russia and allow Russia to help them as opposed to the United States of America. Why? Because we can't even, you know, elect a president. And what I find so ironic about the whole thing is that America is, is having a shit fit about the alleged hacking from Russia, but they're not talking about all of the governments that they've toppled and, in, you know, and how we've interfered in, you know, governments all over the world. You know, it's okay if we do it. But it's not okay if someone does it to us. But to me, you know, the the headline is Putin is just trying to make America look stupid and trying to to convince everyone that they should turn their focus to Russia and see Russia as a first world nation or a superpower because America is losing its grip. America is losing its reputation. America is just in a state of shambles. And so what's so interesting, you know, with what we're dealing with now in America with this Trump is, you know, the the far right across the globe is coming into power. This is not anything new. They have organized, they have strategized for this to come. So, you know, my thing is, is that, you know, I've seen it coming, and so have a number of other people, you know, but where is our contingency plan? Mm-hmm. And so so I just want you to, you know, so that's how I'm looking at this. You know, this particular zero-sum game is they're trying to knock America off of this pedestal. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, so yeah, okay, that's, okay. that's how I see that. <laughs> okay, I want right, to so recommend. Now I'm gonna... the... Go ahead, sir. Go ahead. No, I just I just want to recommend the, uh, in my opinion, one of a, an excellent geopolitical website called globalresearch.ca. It's out of Canada, and they have some very in-depth articles on geopolitics. And I I, I think if you see some of the articles that they discuss about why maybe the Russia thing is being bought in and they add a different dimension, but the site is called globalresearch.ca, and it's an excellent, it's out of Canada, but it's an excellent, in my opinion, geopolitical analysis website. Thank you for allowing me to speak, and I will listen. All right, well, thank you, sir. Thank you for calling in. We appreciate you. So, yeah, go out and check that, globalresearch.ca. You know, I've read many articles from them. I've posted a couple of times, but, you know, we'll watch that even closer. You know, we all know that I I do love Al Jazeera, you know, as a news source. And, you know, I enjoy the Young Turks as well, and I see Dylan um, Radigan making a comeback, and so it's a number of people that out there that I like, and you know I promote their work. But today's show again, dear white America, why are the blacks the only group demanded to play fair? And so what I wrote in the show notes basically says, thanks for listening to our Black Freethinkers podcast. Over the years, we have discussed a number of topics that we believe needed more diverse commentary. It has been a pleasure to have been part of the discussion, and thank you for inviting us into your world. However, due to the current political and cultural climate in America, we need to delve much much deeper into these discussions and would love for you to join the conversation. There is nothing wrong with asking questions 
is making demands, saying no, standing up for yourself, refusing to go along to get along and play dirty if the opponent insists that the game has no rules for them but plenty of rules for the rest of us. It's hard to play catch when your hands are tied behind your back. In some cases, your hands have been chopped off, but you are expected to sing, dance, laugh, and repeatedly assure the people who set you up to fail that everything is fine and you forgive them. Not going to play that game. No more, no more, no more, no more. Welcome to the future. And, you know, that's where I stand with this. You know, there have been too many times in which, you know, many of us have responded or given commentary, but it's extremely measured because, you know, there are some people that you don't necessarily want to anger or get the ire, or basically they've told you that (laughs) if you say this, if you do that, we will take our support away. And as far as I'm concerned, if you have people saying that, they never supported you in the first damn place. And so what's interesting is, you know, again, we're expected to play by the rules. We're expected to play fair, even when no one else is out here playing fair or playing by the rules. And so, you know, last year I did a show. Was it last year or the year before? So I think it was in 2015. And I did a show, and I called it the Prosperity Gospel of Donald Trump. And so so what was so interesting about it is I had people saying that I had lost my mind. And, you know, subsequent to that show, you know, more and more people are now acknowledging how, you know, these these Word of Faith Prosperity Gospels, um, preachers, as well as the Southern Baptists and these evangelicals, how they played a major role in getting Donald Trump elected, right? And so, you know, one of the controversies is Paula White is supposed to hold the Bible as he's sworn into office. And I'm just looking at it, and, you know, they – about a week or two before the election, I pretty much coronated Donald Trump. I knew he was going to win at that point, right? And, you know, what's so interesting is subsequent to that show, they basically, you know, they most recently crowned Donald Trump, if you will, basically called him king and and basically alluding to analogies of Trump being, you know, the second coming of Christ or comparing him to Jesus. And so, and this was in their Christmas statement, right, the the RNC Christmas statement. And so let me read it. It says, Merry Christmas to all. Over two millennia ago, a new hope was born into the world, a Savior who would offer the promise of salvation to all mankind. And says, just as the three wise men did on that night, this Christmas heralds a time to celebrate the good news of a new king. And so, you know, of course, Twitter was in a hissy. And uh, (laughs) I'm just sitting here, and I'm looking at this, and all of this is in your face. And yet, you know, we're still being told to sit back, be quiet, know our place, and and just take what's given to us, take the scraps that are, you know, being given to us. But, you know, one of the things that I do want to bring to mind or to the forefront is, again, you know, you've heard me talk about um, some of these 
so-called white social justice, civil rights, human rights activists out here, and they're back at it. They never stop, you know, but with the, with the manipulation and the exploitation of black people. And what's happening is, again, many of them are stealing, you know, our words, our thoughts, the intellectual property, co-opting these movements, you know, in an effort to become or to maintain their relevance. And, again, they've turned it into an industry, whereas they're getting paid for stealing our words. And so it's just, you know, I want you to pay attention to this. And, you know, they, they try to justify it by stating, well, you know, I repost and retweet, you know, and sometimes quote black activists, and, and, and you know, that's supposed to make us feel better as you capitalize on our pain. We're supposed to be okay with that. You're justifying it. And, and see, and that's the whole thing. You know, they are turning this into an industry, and I need for you all to open your eyes and to pay attention, you know, because, again, some of these people don't give a shit about the black community, you know, unless the black community is supporting them and giving them money or shielding them from critique and criticism. So, again, you better pay attention. You better pay attention. It's not just white activists doing this. You know, you got some black activists doing the same thing. You know, and they're using these particular movements to to come up. And so you better know the difference between a friend and a frenemy because you get plenty of them. You got plenty of them out here. And so, you know, my thing is, you know, they're saying these things to to flatter the black people, and it's like retweeting and reposting something that a black person wrote. It's not necessarily flattery. Fuck your flattery and fuck you too. Why? Because you're stealing. And I hope they start doxing you because I think that's what I'm going to start doing to people, black or white, male or female. I don't give a shit, you know, because too many times I have heard my own damn words come back at me, you know, and as I stated before, that does not, I'm not flattered by that. I'm actually insulted because I'm challenging you to think for yourself. Come up with your own words. Come up with your own analysis. But as far as, like, some of these so-called allies, you need to start calling their asses out, you know. But what you got to be aware of is that the legion of whites and some blacks and some Latinos and some Muslims and all these folks that follow them, they will come after you. Right, you know, and and ask you why are you attacking this person? You know, they're there for the blacks, and and you know, you don't know what's good for you. They do, and you know, white folks will listen to them, but white folks won't listen to you. And 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 I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this, and all this is is a perpetuation of white supremacy by telling you to be quiet and go along to get along. I see you, six oh nine. Give me a minute. And 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 what I find, you know, is it's like. It is extremely disheartening, and and, and when this happens, again, it all centers around their whiteness, and we're told how we're being unfair and in some cases called racist for calling these people out and putting them on blast. You know, next thing we know, we get a whole bunch of damn white tears, you know, and, and, and white people just falling apart all over the damn place because we critique them. And then, you know, we're expected to soothe their feelings. 
soothe their hurt feelings. And it's not, you know, they're hurt because you said something about it. They're hurt because they got caught. And now you got to listen to them whine about all the shit that they claim to have done to help these communities. You know, they help the black folks. You know, they're doing this and they're doing that. Mind you, we have not seen any, you know, any fruit of that labor. It's all talk. We ain't seen shit yet. But you're helping black folks. Oh, you're telling black stories? No, you're stealing black stories, and you're capitalizing off of it. You know, and what really gets me is last, you know, when last year when Muhammad Ali died and, you know, a number of other things, you had all of these, you know, so-called white allies quoting these folks. But they hated Muhammad Ali when he was able to talk on his own. They hated Malcolm X when he was alive. They hated Martin Luther King when he was alive. But they loved them when they were mute and dead, right? And then they try to take the words of these people and twist them and use it against us and use it against us in an effort to control us and to silence us. And you need to pay attention. Why aren't they using the words of people, you know, some of the radicals and revolutionaries that are here now? You'll hear them complaining about Black Lives Matter. Well, I don't think it's right that they blocked the highway and la, la, la. You're more concerned and you're more vocal about the protests and how it inconveniences you than you are about the, 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 you know, the lives of people of color that are being taken by state-sanctioned violence. And that's not just being killed by the police. It's also poverty. It's also homelessness. It's also intercommunal violence. That is all state violence, and it is all created. And there are people who profit off of that, and they benefit from it. You know, and so, you know, I just need for you guys to open your eyes, to pay attention. And some of these so-called allies, you know, after, you know, they've taken you on a whirlwind and you have to acknowledge, you know, that they are doing good as white people and that they, quote, unquote, understand our pain and they can speak to our pain and they feel our pain, but it's still centered in white. And so there was a certain type of, you know, of arrogance that's tied to that, okay? Because basically, and this is how I see it, and this is what I hear when when I'm listening to this shit. You know, they're the benevolent dictator or the benevolent supporter, but the victim has to be a noble victim, one who is worthy of their time and their effort. Because you got to understand, they're not trying to help all blacks, just the ones they approve of in some cases. And so, again, if you go back and you look into the arrogance and the narcissism of that particular type of scenario, you know, you know, they're doing good and they're feeling good about themselves and, and you know, in, in so many words, they feel like they are better than the people that they are allegedly attempting to help. And so you need to start paying attention because it's at this point where they get indignant. 
and then it turns into how dare you question, you know, their their you know their stature? How dare you question their status as an ally? How dare you critique them? How dare you do anything in their in their minds to shame them or to cause them to think a little bit harder or cause them to 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 introspect a little bit more? Because in many cases, they do know that they still hold a shitload of biases. But then they want us to come in and teach them and to tell them what they're doing wrong. And if they could, have us make it right and let them take the damn credit for it. You've got a lot of milly vanilla motherfuckers out here. You know, and again, you know, they want us to do exactly what they tell us to do, especially some of these progressive liberals. If we do not follow their directions to the letter, then they decide they want to take their support elsewhere. They were never supporting you in the first damn place. They were controlling you. And so what's so interesting about Steve Harvey when he said, you know, if the president or the president-elect, you know, calls you, you go. Well, I'm not a damn dog. I don't know about no damn body else. But that is the mindset of way too many white progressive liberals in this country. You know, and you know what many of you all have to realize is when sometimes when they're out here talking, they're not talking about everybody, they're talking about the people who who they can control the people who may hold some of the same interests that they have, you got to think about it. You know, and they consider the rest of the people whiners and complainers and telling them to go and kick rocks. You know, they feel they, you know, they have a right to make a living too, even if it is off the backs of, you know, the black community. doesn't matter if they're exploiting and manipulating the very communities that they claim to love and identify with. That doesn't matter. You know, what? They may go and, you know, cater some jerk chicken for the next community meeting. So that makes up for some of the questionable, problematic shit that comes out of their mouth. Really? But in the meantime, you better not question their motives. You know, here we go with touch not mine anointed again, right? Huh. (laughs) <laughs> and the minute they get angry, what, you're going to stop retweeting and reposting me? You're going to stop stealing my words? No, you're not going to do any of that shit. You're going to keep stealing. You know, and, and again, you know, you have too many that that use that allyship as a weapon to control the communities that they're claiming to support. That's why so many of them got angry when the Black Lives Matters, you know, protesters pushed the white people to the back, pushed them away from the microphones with the press. What you think you can, you know, you think you can state our pain better than we can? Why must you be in the center, in the forefront of everything? You're here to support us. And so, you know, it's, 
I've seen so much over the years. And like I said, you have a lot of Milly Vanilli fools out here, you know, that stand up front and lip sync and dance and really think they're doing a damn thing and, you know, they got shit going on. But they don't tell you about the people that are in the background that are doing the real work, the ones that are really singing and dancing and making this happen. And these are just people who are up front taking the credit for shit that they didn't do and don't know how to do without the people in the background. And then when you stand up and you question something, then that's when you find out, you know, how they really feel about you, that you're a slave. Shut up and do as you're told. No, no interviews for you. No, we don't need no, you know, you don't need to give the press or any of these people talking points. You give it to us, we'll give it to them, and we'll take the credit. But you better sit down, shut up, know your place in the back room. We want you to continue to do the heavy lifting and to do the work, and we take the credit and the money and everything else. And if you dare speak up, you're threatened with punishment. If you even try to tell anybody what the hell is going on, then they will work overtime to try to defame you and sully your name. And so, you know, it's it's really interesting, you know, because the whole time, you know, they're still just plotting to steal whatever you got or whatever you have and claim it as as their own. And they don't give a shit about you. They don't give a shit about your feelings. They don't give a shit about your family and your community. It's just about them and them controlling you. And so, you know, it's really interesting, you know, how hard they work to destroy you. If they used all of that energy and intellect to work on, you know, solutions, they would do much better. But now they want to continue to victimize and exploit you. And you need to recognize these people when you see them. All right, we got a couple of callers. Let me bring them into the well, I'm going to bring one into the conversation. Let's start with 609. Thank you for holding. May we ask who's calling? Yes, this is Miss T. How are you? I'm good, Miss T. How are you? Okay, the conversation is really uh, great. I've listened to you before. Um, yes, ma'am. And you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Um, I don't see why they're not going to be questioning the um, motorcycle um, uh, motorcade that will be there on the uh, inauguration day that will say they, they're going to stand and help uh, protect the uh, inauguration events just in case anybody gets out of hand. <laughs> so, uh, we, yeah, we that one, and that's not questioned, but, um, the amount of, um, um, demonstrators that are allowed are 200 on, uh, the inauguration day, but yet then they're going to allow 1200 the day after. So, uh, you're absolutely right. That's the double policy there. Now, what you're saying is, uh, to keep our eyes open, and I'll try to be brief since you have other uh, callers. 
I really see this as a, um, uh, this is a uh, theater. This is a racial theater. America's Mm -hmm. on the stage. And you have to uh, know history and keep, uh, and you have to, the game, it's it's like a game to some people. It's a political game. And, and and one is that's on the stage, uh, tell me what's real and what's not real. So then you have the magician. So we got a lot of magician mm-hmm. things happening on, on the stage. And then is some of how much do you really know about theater, you know, because I can be, come out and perform opera, and if you've never listened to opera, then you don't understand a word that I'm saying. And I said that right. because... Uh, one of the great theatrical plays that just happened in the last 48 hours uh, was the uh, Willie Lynch show uh, to to those in the world. It was the Willie Lynch show, uh, and uh, we we saw the political uh, uh, lynching of the icon, and and that was none other than uh, Mr. Uh, Lewis. That was a political lynch uh, through Twitter. And it was chosen uh, so appropriately right during uh, Martin Luther the Martin Luther King weekend, uh, and he, right. uh, he, he was it was a Twitter lynch uh, to uh, uh, to the audience, to his audience, to his uh, KKK, to his white supremacists. That's what would happen uh, in the Willie Lynch papers. You took the strongest. Uh, uh, African that was defiant and you brought him out publicly and you lynched him. I was so insulted when I saw that strategy being used. It was a political lynch. Uh, and you bring him out and you strip him and uh, and you use him as an example uh, for mm-hmm. the rest of and Right, because you, you chose Mr. Lewis. He's identified with Dr. Martin Luther King. That wasn't a mistake. And the president-elect is not that stupid. He knew exactly who Mr. Lewis was, and he knew exactly what he was doing because his fingers had to hit that button to do that Twitter. And also, Mm -hmm. then he conveniently removes himself from going to uh, uh, participate in a uh, monumental way in the Martin Luther King event by visiting the Black Museum. So now... Uh, he gets a standing ovation from uh, the, his white supremacist audience. And and his other mm-hmm. move with the Willie Lynch Theater uh, of 1712 was, I will separate them through envy. So what does he do? He brings out the comedian. Uh, you know, that audience loves to be entertained. Uh, killing you and stripping you and beating a black man and the African was a means of entertainment. They were always gathered. It became entertainment. Then it became uh, some of the most atrocious acts against the African-American male but it, and, and family, but it was entertainment to them. So who do we have? We have Mr. Steve Harvey uh, 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 is entertainment in the comedian field. Uh, we almost had uh, the young lady that just backed out. We almost, they almost had her. As part, and then we also have the one that's coming in the White House from the reality show. So uh, that's the entertainment part to what to divide the black community, African American community through uh, envy, 
And then we have the very structure uh, within the Willie Lynch uh, theater that he brought out this week. And that is some of the, uh, uh, the one of the foundations of the African-American community, and that is the faith community. And you have three or four of them coming around, uh, and they are, are the ones that's going to stand there during his inauguration. And the greatest insult of justice with, with Willie Lynch is uh, the one that's being removed from uh, the uh, uh, Office of Justice in Alabama goes, and you bring the one while he dedicate uh, while President Obama uh, dedicates Alabama as a national uh, historical marking of what happened during the Civil Rights Movement. You come in and make the, the the main the main one from Alabama the Attorney General. So this is a uh, one of the worst in my lifetime. Uh, uh, to insult the intelligence, not only of the African-American uh, community, but uh, just people at large to insult the intelligence and thinking of humanity. And this is what right. we have to deal with. And thank yes, you, ma'am, and you're absolutely These are not simple tweets. These, these are well thought out and well designed. It's just that the person seems to be so uh, narcissist thinking and arrogant is that we uh, don't understand what's going on. You do, and I do, and many other people, but I hope people understand and they saw uh, the, the Willie Lynch paper. That's exactly what he did. And, thank you, and you know what's so interesting but that's why I call this show is like, why are the blacks the only group demanded to play fair? Because, you know, us black people speaking out, when we speak out and vent our frustration and our anger, we are painted as traitors. We're painted and called traitors. But when white folks do it, they're called patriots. And you have all of these double standards that are happening out here. And I've said, Many, many times, and I've had people get very angry with me, but in regards to a lot of these so-called white elites and white progressive liberals, we are either the help or the entertainment. That's it, and many of them do not recognize our humanity, and what you're saying is absolutely correct. You know, he knew exactly who John Lewis was. And his skipping out on the dedication at the African-American Museum, that was all done by design. And he made it clear what he was going to do at the RNC convention when he gave his acceptance speech. That was the most frightening thing ever. And so, you know, and I was sharing that with everybody, but you're, you know, we're just caught between a rock and a hard place. And, you know, the other caller that called in, he's right. I mean, we're basically, we're in the corner. And either we're well, going to come think, out fighting. Go ahead, ma'am. Well, you know what you need to look into as well? I think he knew he was going to be president because why did he sell all of his stocks off in June? So, yes, the CIA, exactly. CIA and intelligence community, as well as I'm looking at that as a regular citizen, I know other people. Why uh, would you – now, you won't reveal your taxes, okay? You don't want right. to uh, – of your business, then why did you sell all your stock and everything off in June? And why did your son travel to Russia as well and some of the other people are involved? And so this is ushering in what they call managed democracy, 
uh, and that's mm-hmm. what Russia practices. Your your state government paper is Breitbart. You have your generals in line. If anybody, <laughs> looks her, I mean, you know, so we 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 see that. I mean, we we really can see that now. The other thing, what we need, and you're talking about organization, we need that because they have the organization of, there were 34 states already met in Texas, and they were mm-hmm. meeting, and you're absolutely right. This this was planned. There are already 34 states that are, you, you know, I'm talking about on the, uh, on the Confederate side, and they feel just like that message. So this wasn't a just thought out message. This was part of what he knew. They met in Texas, just like they do with Rick Perry, and and rub his hand on that rock out there where he goes out there and yeah. goes hunting. And he rubs it on the nigger head. There's a nigger head out there, and he got him mm-hmm. right in, in the cabinet with somebody that goes out to a place. They got a place, and I don't mean to offend it. It's a word written on a rock where Rick Perry and his father and all of them went hunting, and they go right at the entrance, and they look at it, and they got the name niggerhead there, and he brought the man and put him right in the office. So I hope we are alert, and we and you, so when you say we weren't organized, they weakened some of our uh, foundational organizations, NWHP and some of the others, with some issues that some of our people are not comfortable with that they merge in together. But mm-hmm. we – we need to be organized to break down the mentality that they do this to us, just like the Jewish community has a Holocaust organization. And every time they got watchdogs in, every time you come out, they'll call you on it. That's what we need on a national level. And then we wouldn't just be protesting. we call and say, why are you still having these civil rights events in the southern states? You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. they still have type of events right in front of our face. And that's why they have kept this alive from the 1800s, and they feel that we still need to be in our place, and they've passed it on that's from right. generation to generation to generation. I was trying to speak to your question. And they've eliminated or tried to erase anything that we tried to build. So right now, policy is the new eraser. A policy right. is the new heritage eraser. Because why would you now usher in a, a president elect and you're saying everything is dark and no hope and you and, and, and uh, when when a black man leaves out of office. Nobody's talking about unemployment is the lowest time in the next in the last ten years and I don't want to go on and quote the accomplishments of President Obama but none of that has been talked about. No. You're, you're, the, the theater that you're giving us, the Willie Lynch theater is you had a slave that ran away on a boat and he got to the other side, and, and we got to bring this back down to keep these, put these other slaves back in order. You see, so you want right. to completely mentally wipe out the, the legacy, because I'm saying, wait a minute. Uh, President Obama brought ushered in the greatest, some of the greatest things he did, and you're saying when he leaves office, it's a dark time? That is that's that's your theater of what you're saying. Now you hear that that's that's the theater that they're giving us, right? Why do you want to give it right. to us now? Why did you give it to us when Bush left out of office and and we were on the brink of catastrophe? Why wasn't it a dark time then? Right, right, right. And I'm right there with you, Miss T. Thank you. 
Thank you. And like I said, feel free to call back at any time. We appreciate you and thank you, you know, because a lot of what you said resonated with me. Let me pull this other caller in. I'm going to put you back on hold, Miss T. Hold on. Yes, ma'am. And so we have a caller from 216. May we ask who's calling? This is Red Ninja. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Red. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Oh, man, it was nice to have you around. Nice to see you coming back around these parts. <laughs> nice to be here. <laughs> nice to be here. Um, yes, sir. So come yeah, on, um, let us have it. What you got to say? Well, um, I I just have a few uh, comments of my own with regard to that. And I just want to say, I you know, I've listened to about, 80% of the broadcast, and um, I really feel you on everything that you said, um, particularly with regard to how we as black men and women are to address brutality, police brutality, how we are to address the situation that we're in, how we're to address this election, and how we're to address President Trump. What I find interesting, you made a comment earlier that, you know, when black people protest, we are called difficult or we are called overbearing or we are called troublemakers, mm-hmm. and we That's are, right. you know, decimated in the press. And that when white people protest, they are called heroes in the press. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I am particularly that just grates on my nerves is when people say, why can't you just be quiet about President Trump? He's the president. There's nothing that you can do. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no use talking back. Up. There's no use talking about his policy. There's no use talking about this. Just give him a chance. Right. And um, meanwhile, the thing is what people don't realize is that, as you mentioned, everybody is going to suffer with his policies in particular. Now, even if we put right. his racism aside, his sexism aside, his homophobia, his Islamophobia aside, even if we put all that aside, and we just talked about health care in particular and how he plans on handling the Affordable Care Act. Now, when I ask white Republicans that I know, what, like basically when I ask them, what is it that – makes Trump a good candidate without without any kind of condemnation. What tends to typically what tends to happen is they consider him viable because he's going to run things like a business. He is not a political insider, quote unquote, so therefore he's going to do a better job than Obama. And also our healthcare sucks, our education sucks, everything sucks, right? They take a very kind right. of Manichean view of American society at large. And I said, okay, I just want to talk about one thing, you know, the Affordable Health Care Act. Now, is it true that Obama can be improved? Absolutely. I think that it is a shame that we do not have single-payer health care. Exactly. And I think that it is particularly appalling that in a first-world country, we lack what other countries already have in place as far as how we're going to take care of our citizens. So do I think things can be improved? Yes. 
But I also asked them, okay, what is Trump planning on actually doing to improve on the Affordable Care Act as it really is, and how is that going to impact you? What's about that is going to make it better? And I've had people literally tell me things like, well, you know, he'll just manage to pay the doctors more and they'll take their job more seriously somehow. And when I say, well, actually, here's what he's actually doing. He's removing certain provisions that the Affordable Care Act already had, things like being able to have your preexisting medical conditions being taken into account, being on your parents' health insurance until 26. That's been moved away. And now there are articles that are coming out about him actually removing, you know, the black lung benefits that were going on. Because remember, lots of white people in the South were complaining really, really loudly about losing their jobs and about already having lost their jobs and how Trump is going to bring our jobs back. But now he's not even bringing your benefits back. Miners are actually losing their health care from the black lung that they Mm -hmm. developed doing their work for decades. And you show them the articles and you say, that's not improvement. This is not, a, this is not at all making things better for you or for me or for our families. All these provisions are actually going away. Now, do you think that that's helping or hurting you? And most white people right. just throw up their hands and say, well, you know, that's just the way it is. And I said, well, if you want your country to run like a business, you are better if you're prepared for the fallout because if you want to run a country like a business, if you don't pay people, people suffer. That's what a business is. Exactly. And that's not the way a country should be ran. But Trump and conservatives like him are running around convincing people hardcore that we got to run it like a business. We got to run it this way. We got to run it that way. Not realizing that business depends on your money. Exactly. And exactly. I you're telling me that I shouldn't be angry about that? You're, you're telling me that I shouldn't, that I should keep my mouth shut and give it a chance when I already see the goalposts being moved? Mm-hmm. I'm going to protest that. Exactly. I'm going to get in people's face right. about that, and you should too. That's right. That is absolutely correct. One of the provisions that are, that, you know, that's being eliminated is special care for autistic children. You know, and, and when I read that, I was just absolutely floored. And and I'm sitting here and I'm looking at these people, especially the ones who did not realize that the Affordable Care Act is Obamacare. You know, and right. it looks like we're going to go into overtime, you guys. So if you all want to call in and listen, 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. Or you can enjoy the rest of this um, a little bit later once we're done and it's over. But we're going into overtime. But, no, you're absolutely correct about, you know, what you were saying there. And like you said, you know, and I agree with you, you know, when black people stand up, when we stand up for ourselves, and saying that we're not going to play this game anymore or if there are no rules for you, it's no rules for us. You know, we're labeled, like you said, troublemakers. We're labeled as traitors and all of these negative things. But when a white person does it, like you said, they're a hero. They're a patriot. They're all of these wonderful things because that is what an American does. That's a true American there. But you you come right. folks over there now. 
you know, how dare you? You take the scraps that we give you. You understand? And, you know, and what's so interesting is the scraps they used to give us, they've turned into a delicacy, and now we can't even afford that. How about that? Right. You know, know, when Occupy Wall Street happens, you know, it's a grassroots mm -hmm. movement, and it's awesome. Yep. But when Black Lives Matter happens, it's, oh, well, you know, you're being divisive. No, the country is being divisive towards me. That's right. And it's just. It's it's really appalling and it's and it's just total hypocrisy across the board, and it's going to be really interesting to see how these types of situations actually play out. Because you know, it's it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Now, on the other hand, do I think that we will survive a Trump presidency? I think so. Because black people are survived oh, yeah. Nixon, we survived Reagan, mm-hmm. we survived both yep. Bushes. Clinton and Clinton. Right. Clinton was worst of all of them. But go ahead. No, and and you're and you're absolutely right. We survived forty years of appalling, <laughs> of appalling legislation, and flip flopping, yeah. and you know being talked down to. We survived the civil rights yep. era, and we will survive this, but we will, but not without a fight. Exactly. And not without exactly. raising our voices as high as we can make it. And I'm sorry, but I can't afford to keep my mouth shut when you have a Republican right. president, a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and Congress, and soon to be a Supreme Court justice who are all. I mean, don't forget about the, the governorship. Minor- don't forget about the governorships yeah, now. Come on. Absolutely. And all of them are against the things that I believe in as a black man and as a progressive. They are not friendly to black people or black lives matter. Nope. They are not friendly to those that are not Christian in religion, let alone those that are Muslim. They are not friendly to lesbian, gay, bisexual, or trans people. That's right. And in fact, they're not even really friendly to the white working class that they have seduced into their own campaign. Not at all. Not at all. It was interesting because I kept telling everybody about that article on National Review that Kevin Williamson wrote about the working class and poor whites, and all the rhetoric he used with them is the same rhetoric that the working class and poor whites have used on communities of color in regards to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, pick up and move to where the job, all of that stuff there. But I had never in my life seen one of the so-called white political elite you know, basically crush the working class and poor whites. And that was done because they were angry because working class and poor whites were supporting Donald Trump, and that is not who the elite wanted in power. And so, you know, I'm sitting back and I'm looking at this, and yes, we will survive this. And, you know, I go through this thing every year, and I'm like, man, it's like I love doing the show, and I do this for me. You know, and and this is, you know, how can I say, like my own love letter to, you know, to to my listeners, you know, and and it's like I want to stop sometimes, and I'm like, but I can't. And now that they've given us the tangerine tyrant for the next four years, I've I've decided that well, you you're gonna hear me complain and whine about this for the next four damn years, like, 
I have nothing to lose. Just you know, continue and talk about right. it. And I'm gonna get yeah, I'm gonna get more into the books again, you know, start doing more topical stuff. But we're getting ready to bring POC I and mean, resuscitating, you know, people of color beyond faith. So there's gonna be some projects and things coming from there, you know, soon, real soon. And you know, we have to. We need to have our voices out there. We need this commentary. They need to understand that, number one, black, the black community is not a monolith, but they also need to understand right. that, you know, we do have opinions on these things. And, you know, I've been told that, you know, our opinions are refreshing, you know, or, or you know, just something mm-hmm. that it makes people think in different ways, you know, and they may not have taken certain things into consideration. So, you know, like I said, this show is a labor of love. I love doing it, and, you know, I love it when you guys call in to talk about these things, and we just need to, we got to push back. we got to push back, like I said, you know, continuing to do the same things over and over and expecting a different result. Einstein called that insanity. And the thing is, is that we're begging them to fix these problems that they created and that they profit from. See, people don't realize poverty is an industry. Money is made off of that. And, you know, and homelessness and all of this stuff, it it is cheaper to house the homeless people than it is to leave them out on the street. And so, you know, we we talk about these things, and they need to be confronted. And, And, you know, there's power in that. There's a lot of power in this. These need to be talked about because otherwise, you know, people think that we don't care. And, you know, people like us, you know, at first, you know, I thought we were a little uncommon. And like I said, we're not an enigma per se, you know, but it seems Mm -hmm. uncommon. But the more and more that I start reading, you know, books, you know, especially from the civil rights um, black power, black renaissance era, you start delving deeper into those authors in, in the community. No, we're not as uncommon as we thought right. we were. It's just that, that right. it was done in hushed tones. You know, we know, right. you know, this person doesn't believe, but we're not going to talk about it. You know, and, and we know this person over here, they're LGBTQ, they're good people, but we're not going to talk about that. You know, we know this woman over right. here, you know, she thinks she's just as good as a man. She's one of them feminineness, right? You know, we know that's what she is, but we're not going to talk about it. And so, you know, right. And we here. also know that this uh, black person over here is a quote unquote social justice warrior. So let's hey. just go ahead and push that over to the side and, you know, focus on just this part over here since, you know, the the quote unquote social justice warrior and their concerns doesn't affect me. So I don't have to worry about it. Hey, just leave them hey over now. There. Hey now. Yeah, and see, and see right there, right there. That's the gold nugget, you know, in regards to just the totality of what I've been saying over the past couple of months. Because my question to some of these so-called white liberal progressives and allies, you know, my question is, what is justice? And is that justice limited? Because you got them claiming to be civil rights activists, social justice activists, human rights activists, but it seems like they're only advocating for people who look and think like them, which is why I say that they're not trying to, 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 to you know, better or to improve us as a whole. 
just these little right. micro groups. Right, right, exactly. And it's it's really an insult. Yes. Similarly, you know, when we just talk about, you know, the fight for women's rights, white liberals seem to be very, very, um, we'll say, impressed with a lot of their, you know, we'll say, activists that cropped up in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. You know, mm-hmm. women, you know, and we all know the stories. There were several white activists who seemingly fought for all women to have the right to vote and a right to free mm-hmm. education. But it turns out that they were only fighting for their fellow white women and they didn't give a damn about whether a black, Asian, hell, even Jewish That's right. minority was given the right to education. It was on the back burner for them. No. The whites should have that first. Exactly. Us white women should have that right first because we already know we're at the forefront. Right. We're not really right. concerned see, about it, they they can get their justice later. They can get their equal time later on. But we gotta be right. we gotta exactly. look out for it's them always later. Yeah, it's always exactly. later. It's always be quiet and wait your turn. And then after we prop them up and get them over the hurdle, we put our hands up and they turn around and tell us, no, 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 you got to get it. You're, you know, you got to do it your way. You got to get it just like we got it. But you didn't get there on your own. We pushed you up. Don't make a difference. Get someone to push you up. Right, exactly. And so it is interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting that you differentiated and said Jewish women, because when I tell people that Jewish people aren't white, they look at me crazy. Jewish people got their ethnic white or honorary white status about sixty years ago. You understand? You know, and I'm just sitting here and I'm looking and I'm like, you know, am I the only one reading these damn history books? You know, and you know, it would seem like it, but. Mm-hmm. It would seem like it, but the thing is, you know, it, it conveniences them to have to realize that the mainstream civil rights activists that were not black, it hurts mm-hmm. them to know that they did not have the best interests at heart for minorities all of the time. And that stuff is important That's to talk right. about because we are still dealing with that. We are still dealing with the condescension. We are still bringing in white electoral candidates in our churches. Mm-hmm. We're still bringing them into our civil rights meet, meetings mm-hmm. as a gesture to say, look, you don't have to be afraid of us. Just come join us. Come see what we're about. Right, 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 right. And see, and that goes back to, like I said, a 400-year guilt trip that we've been on that, you know, we feel like we have to prove to them that we are worthy of our humanity, that we are worthy to be in the same room with them, that we are worthy for them to call us friend, you know, depending on how loosely they define that word friend. And and what, you know, what gets me is when we do have safe spaces for people of color, and and you know we just want our space. How indignant and outraged and offended that they get because they can't come into those spaces. Not only can they not come into it, they can't control it. And and when we right. say no, you know it was a big old debate about inclusion versus accommodation, right? And 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 
it's just amazing because you see this in all of these little micro groups that we have, these subcultures, and these subcultures mm-hmm. are nothing but a mirrored reflection of the greater society. And so, you know, I just, you know, I sit back and I look at these things, and sometimes, you know, I wonder, am I the only one who's saying this shit? <laughs> and then when I started doing this show and people would call in or send a note or inbox me, and they'd be like, I agree. And even when I found out that, you know, quite a few people in my family were listening to the show, I was floored, especially with some of the things that I've learned about, you know, different people in my family that I didn't know, that I've just come into, you know, knowledge of. And it's right. amazing because you never know who's listening. You never know who's paying attention. And we never know whose life we're saving because some of the topics that we talk about, there are a lot of people who cannot talk about these things. They cannot share that with other folks because that could cost them their livelihood, their lives, their families, right. just a number of right. things. So, you know, I, like I say, this is like a labor of love. This is like a love letter to the people you know, who listen to this show, you don't have to agree with everything that I say. I don't expect you to. And I actually expect pushback, you know, and, and but the thing is, is take what you need from this and grow. Take what you need and grow, you know, so. Right. I don't know, Rick, and, but, and allow you know, yourself, mm-hmm. and, and allow yourself to learn something new. Allow yourself That's to right. take in a perspective that is not familiar to you, because even if you don't agree, at least you will understand by the time that you're done. That's right. That's right. And That's right. for that, you know? I have to say that I appreciate you, um, because this is definitely, this is one program that really tremendously helped me grow and Excellent. Not Thank only you. in my understanding of politics, but in my understanding of life in general. And um, you've done a remarkable job. Thank you. And, uh, Thank you. Yo, you're I very, appreciate you're that. very welcome. I try, baby. You know, I really <laughs> do. You know, and you know, and I, I want people to also know that it's okay to make mistakes. That means you're human. Yeah. You know, and we all do that, you know, but, you know, you get up and you grow. You learn from that. Turn that into a learning, you know, a learning situation, you know, you know, experience. Like I said, you know, the older folks used to tell me, and now I'm telling you guys, live a little, live a little, and you will understand these words a lot better, a little bit down the line, you know, but, man, so... Anyway, we're getting ready to roll on off of here, but hey, thank you. Thank you, Red Ninja. Thank you, Miss T. You know, all of the people that called in tonight. There's so much to talk about. You know, next week's show, I think we're going to talk about uh, Jim Crow Remix. You know, if I don't talk about that, we're going to be talking about something regarding um, globalism, but it's going to have something to do with. Um, you know, what's happening with the political climate around the world. So we'll figure it out. We'll get there. You know, I got a number of ideas for different shows, but the first show in February, Black History Month, we're going to be talking about the good Negro crew, and we're going to have a magical (laughs) Negro review. And we're going to be talking about Lee Daniels, Tyler Perry, you know, and a number of other things, you know. 
man, we're going to talk about Kim Burrell, you know, and a whole host of other things that are happening. Can we, and so, can we also talk, go ahead, can, can we also talk about this whole, like, you know, reverse racism charge that's been leveled by, like, Tyler Perry and, you know, Lee Daniels? They were the ones who encouraged me to do the Magical Negro Review. You know, so, you know, yeah, we're going to talk about the Missingenoir. Ah, Good Lord, Missingenoir. Okay, you know, we're going to talk about <laughs> all of that. You know, and misogyny, the misandry, all of that shit. You know, and yeah, and you're right. Charges of reverse racism, calling us reprehensible for critiquing the award shows, and yet they've built their fortune on the backs and the lives of black women. And when I say on the backs of black women, we're the ones with the fucking money, and we're the ones out here supporting them. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, we're gonna talk about all of that. And I just and I just want to make one quick comment um, before I, before I jump off. But you're, yes, sir. not only have they built their empires off the backs of black women and black women's money, in return they have also catered themselves exclusively to black men and women, and previously catered themselves only to their black audience members and didn't really care about whether the white establishment was down with them or not until they got mainstream recognition, until they got the hundred million right. dollar contracts and until they built their mm-hmm. empires. And now suddenly their investors have them changing their tune and saying, well, now you just need to get along. But I'm sorry, Mr. Daniels and Mr. Perry, 15 years ago, you weren't talking to them. You were talking to us and you came yeah. to us and, and you and- insisted on us coming to your shows and your movies and paying for the movie tickets and the play tickets. You That's came right. to us. And 25, oh yeah, and 25 years ago, Tyler Perry was living in his car. How about that? How about that? Right. And now he's exactly. damn near a billionaire. So, yeah, no, and the thing is, is that, you know, for, for and it won't just, I just won't focus on Tyler Perry and, and Lee Daniels, there's a few of them, but in many cases, they hate women. They hate the very people who help them to get where they are. And when we point this out and point out the behaviors that, that define this particular hate, you know, you know, black people sometimes they get angry. But again, it goes back to these particular celebrities, and you know, um, you know, they don't care why because the black community is always going to forgive them. The black community is always going to to support them. That's what they believe right. in their minds. And like right. I said, we, we keep doing the same bullshit, expecting different results. It's time to do something different. It's time to make some demands. You know, don't be over there Absolutely. begging them for shit. It's time to demand it, period. Right, and get rid of the poverty porn that has women only being abused and only being homeless and only being subject to evil, unscrupulous uh, black men. Get that's rid right. Of it. Exactly. That's get right. Of, or that's right. at least allow ourselves to be seen as more than just people who suffer. Black women are bigger yes. and a lot more complex than just being abused and raped. And I'm not saying that those stories are not important, but I am saying that that does not represent the totality of the black experience. We can play the hero. We can play the superhero. We can do Shakespeare. 
We can we are capable uh-huh. of so many things. We can be the regular average everyday judge with families. And exactly. that t- Tyler Perry's temptation basically has a woman suffering from AIDS for the mere crime of sleeping around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. Really? Okay. Exactly. So because she slept with somebody, she deserved AIDS. And that that's what you that's uh-huh. what I think you mean when you say that he hates or dislikes women or has contempt for women because right. it's about telling women that they deserve to be punished for the things that are <laughs> that That's are right. not punishable offenses. You shouldn't have to be punished exactly. for the mere crime of having sex outside of marriage. Right. Exactly. And exactly. we are not You're and we are not correct. Yeah, and, and, you know, black women are more than just, you know, single mothers who somehow chose wrong, despite the fact that you have men out You know what? No. I'm not going to get started. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to save that. We're going to save that for the first we're, Sunday yeah, in February, black history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, hey, like I said, thank you for calling in. I appreciate you. I appreciate everybody who's, you know, called in, who's listening. Oh, man, this year started out with a bang. This year started out with me on my toes. So, like I said, I was supposed to do a show last Sunday. I was too tired to do it. But we're here today. We're moving forward. I'm looking forward to it. Happy, happy, merry, merry, or what the hell ever you call the new year. And we're moving forward. Hey, Red, thank you, love. Thank you for calling in. And, again, this is Very Kim well. with Black Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Good night, everybody. See you next Sunday. Take care. Good night, Kim.